Blog Talk Radio. Hey everyone, and welcome to the Carrie Edelman Radio Show. I want to thank everyone for joining us tonight as we have an awesome actor coming on shortly. His name is Scott Schiaffo, and I hope I pronounced that correctly. I will make sure I ask him when he comes on the air uh, that I pronounce his name correctly. And uh, we're going to talk about his career tonight as an actor, as well as he's involved in so many things. He's also a musician and composer. Um, he's writing a poetry book right now, and he is also venturing back into school and uh, getting his master's in counseling psychology. So before I bring him on the air, if anyone new is tuning in tonight, I just want to let everyone know about the concept of my show. I started it several months ago, and we are hitting thousands and thousands of listeners So first and foremost, I just want to thank the audience, all of my guests, everyone I've interviewed on this show, because without you guys, it wouldn't be what it is. Um, And the concept of my show was I'm a clinical psychologist, is what I do full-time for my job, and I've always had an interest in combining my interviewing skills with my passion for the entertainment industry. I'm also a singer-songwriter. I have an album out right now, as well as I write uh, some columns for a couple of different entertainment magazines. And to plug them, um, one of them is called uh, Talent Spotlight Magazine, and the other one is called Really Great Magazine. And they're both currently online, um, but the um, Really Great Magazine just released their first print issue. So definitely want to plug those guys, and they have some great stuff out there. So again, I really wanted to combine my background in entertainment and psychology and really support people out there in the entertainment industry doing a variety of things. Um, I personally know how difficult it is for people to get their names out there, especially when you manage your career on your own, and that's personally what I do. So the show was really launched as a forum to support people out there and help uh, get their names and their products and whatever it is they're doing out to the masses. So I'm going to show you're going to get a really good taste of what these people's lives are like, um, what it's like to be in their profession and the experiences they have encountered. And a couple of things I just ask for people to keep in mind is that although I am a clinical psychologist, the show is not meant to provide any type of formal therapy or treatment. Um, At times we might throw around psychological terms and concepts, but we'll talk about those in a very broad and uh, general sense um, as my show is not meant to... Uh, portray me as a pop psychologist or, or anything like that. I do like to keep my backgrounds um, separate, but they do intertwine at times. So I will talk about things in a professional way, but not in a way that will be personalized to any specific person. And also, I do want my guests to feel free and open to talk about any type of uh, controversial experiences they've had, um, anything that's uh, humorous, um, even if it's a humiliating story, but I do ask that people keep identifying information about any persons or organizations they might be uh, referring to um, anonymous because the show isn't meant to uh, humiliate or embarrass anyone, even though we might talk about uh, humiliating or embarrassing experiences. So if you're tuning in right now, please create a Blog Talk Radio account by going to blogtalkradio.com. And we do have a number for you to call into if you want to ask Scott questions tonight. That number is 805 805- Two four three thirteen twenty. So let me tell everyone about Scott uh, Schiefo, and then we will bring him on the air. So I uh, personally was able to connect with Scott over Facebook. Um, I think actually it was when I interviewed 
Rachel Butera, who is a, a voiceover talent. She was discovered on the Howard Stern Show, and she's currently out in L.A. now, uh, making a big name for herself. And uh, we connected after I did an interview with her, and he's just been such an amazing person. I mean, just both personally and professionally, we have a lot in common, so it's, it's he's been a really easy person to talk to, and he's going to be... Um, talking about a film tonight that's going to be entered into a film festival actually next week, um, which is called the Big Apple Film Festival, and that's going to be next week, and we're going to talk about the film that he stars in called Don't Shoot Tonight, so we're really on the air to not only promote everything else that he's done in his career, but uh, focus on that film and the film festival that is coming up. So a little bit about him. As I mentioned, he is an actor. He's also a musician who plays guitar, keyboard, bass, and harmonica. And he is best known uh, for his role in the independent cult classic film, which is Clerks, where he played Chewie's The Gum Guy, and that was from Kevin Smith's film back in 1994. Um, And he also appeared in another film by Kevin Smith, and he'll talk about those tonight. Uh, It was a controversial picture called Vulgar, and uh, I am very intrigued by this film, and I want to definitely get a copy at some point in the near future. Um, so he appeared in that film, too. We'll talk about that. And some other films that he's been in uh, has been a short film called Linger, and I previewed that this past weekend, and it's a, it's a phenomenal film. It really it portrays a lot of different um, meanings throughout it, and I really was able to appreciate not just the acting in the film, but the uh, underlying meaning that was conveyed throughout the film. So um, let's bring him on the air. There's so much that we're going to talk about tonight, but I just wanted to give people a preview about um, who he is. And we have a ton of guests in the chat room, so again, please create a Blog Talk Radio account so you can uh, tune in and call us at 805-243-1320. All right, so without further ado, let's bring Scott on. All right, Scott, how are you? Hey, how are you, Carrie? Good, how are you? I'm outstanding tonight. Nice, nice. I hope the yeah. intro was okay. I can get a little wordy at times, so I'm trying to focus on, you know, shortening things up a little bit. But um, I just wanted to introduce you and tell people about the concept of the show. Oh, no, that was you, you were wonderful. You're so kind. Yeah, I was all critics were as kind as you. <laughs> Thank you. People always say, I hope I can live up to everything you've said about me. That's what a lot of the guests say. So I'm sure you'll right, be able to you live up it. to it. Yeah, I'm sure you'll be able to live up to it more. So, um... We already have someone calling in. This is kind of strange. This person has been, like, on the phone for, like, I can't even tell you how long. It's longer than before I uh, signed in. But let's start the interview. And uh, really? area code 770, um, just hold on for a few minutes while we can introduce Scott and get him rolling, and then we'll bring you on to ask some questions. So Cool. All right. So why don't you um, – I don't even know where to begin because you're involved in so many things like me. You you really intrigue me. Why don't you start telling us about uh, when you got involved in acting, how young were you, what inspired you to get involved into uh, this career? Uh, Well, it's kind of a long and sordid story like most of my stories are. Um, Okay. My mom told me from the time I was really young till about – teenage years she she nicknamed me marlin uh for marlin brando because she said i would always try to act my way out of all the trouble i got in and it was pretty silly but i, I never, wasn't even sure at that age i didn't really understand the whole the whole reference but um it really didn't start okay. happening until 
college. Uh, I got very involved in acting in college. I was doing community theater. I was doing shows uh, at the college as well. And at that point, I uh, I said this is something I really want to pursue, although just like with the music, it's very difficult to keep the steady paychecks rolling. So I've always juggled a bunch of different things. Um, okay. We had done a cable show many years ago, and it was almost uh, sort of like a Saturday Night Live type of feel. We did a bunch of odd skits, and it was on local community access, and that really began to springboard things for a few of us who were part of that. Um, And then throughout my 20s, I actually kind of cooled off on the acting, and I really pursued the music for a number of years. I was playing in a number of different bands, and we... uh, at one point, one of the bands I was with was in serious talks with Sony Music to get signed and never panned wow. out. <clears throat> and then actually, at, at the tail end of my 20s, by that point, my my drinking and, and drugging had really begun to escalate to the point where I was starting to become pretty well uh, unreliable and somewhat of a wild card. So I had to kind of bow out of the one band I was in because I knew I was holding them down, you know. Okay, okay. So at that point, I thought I would pick up the acting again because with the acting, basically if I mess up, well, with the exception of certainly if you screw up a shoot date or you don't show up for rehearsals, that's not good. But unlike with the band where there was four other people really focusing on what, you know, had to happen – I was just me, myself, and I, more or less, and my freelance agent. So as odd as that sounds, I, I went back to that in terms of uh, it also helped keep me a little more focused with the uh, with the whole drinking drug thing. But I was pretty much floundering out of control so, at that point. Let's, uh, yeah, let's just like rest a tiny bit. So you didn't get involved in acting until a little later in life, as you were saying. You know, some people get involved in this really early. You had a above to do it, but it wasn't until you got into college. What were you studying in college when you started to get interested in acting? Uh, well, in, uh, in uh, I guess we'll call it junior college, I guess it is, a Bergen Community College here in uh, Paramus, okay. New Jersey. It's a two-year college. I got an associate's degree in, basically you just get an associate's degree in the arts. You don't truly have a major sure. at that point. But okay. I, all of my stuff was, uh, my all of my extracurriculars were music or acting, and I became very, okay. very active in their theater, uh, in their theater department during those years. Gotcha. So and then, you uh, get involved okay. in acting and then the music. Um, so what do you think eventually led to you, if you don't want me asking, going down the road and getting involved in, in alcohol and drugs? Oh, no, I have no problem talking about any of that at all. Um, well, you know, I, I kind of, I, I was one of the guys, uh, one of the type of people who was uh, right up until college point, I was actually really afraid of alcohol and drug use and, and the people who associated with alcohol and drug use because my dad was a pretty severe alcoholic himself okay. when I was growing up. I didn't live with my dad, but... Uh, I had seen him on a handful of occasions while I was young, very inebriated, and it really left a right. less than stunning mark. So uh, but I'm you know, pleased to say he's been sober like a zillion years now, and we have a great relationship right. now. But back then it kind of, right. you know, it really rattled me. And, 
you know, I think a lot of children of alcoholics or children of substance abusers grow up saying, I'm mm-hmm. never going to be like them. And I ended up being worse, actually, because he was just a stone-cold drinker. I was doing anything you put in front of me. So, wow. Uh, so, so what do you think, though, when, was there something, was there a moment in your life or something that just, even though, like you said, you didn't want to be like your father and you're saying this is not a road I want to go down, I guess what somehow clicked in your brain that you just kind of, I don't want to say lost control, but you just started to go down that road. Sure. I think it kind of, as opposed to creeping up gradually on me, I think early on, I think due to possibly the, uh, you know, the genetic, uh, component right. which I strongly sure. believe in, you know, from mm-hmm. from father to son, that line is really strong. One, I can't tell you how many zillions wow. of alcoholic people I've met, people who are suffering with alcoholism, who had you know alcoholic father to alcoholic son to alcoholic grandson. Mm-hmm. I mean, it really, it's heavy in the, it's big in the genetics. A lot of people don't, lay people who aren't involved, uh, you know, don't really understand that. But it's it is a very real thing. So, I mean, there was a genetic predisposition, and even on my mom's sure. side, there were there were a handful of alcoholics on my mom's side as well. So, uh, I think that was in place, and like the very few times, very first few times I really drank, I drank out in a real out-of-control manner. And, uh, you know, got really sick the next day, and so I'd never do that again. And then, of course, a couple of weeks later, and then you see, in junior college, when I was doing that cable show that I mentioned, that's mm-hmm. when I first started smoking. Yeah, I'm sorry? Yeah, no, I said Hello? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I was, first started that cable show. Some of the cast members were, were you know, smoking weed before rehearsals, and I, they were having a ball, and they were really, you know, and I said, let me, you know, I'm finally going to try this and see what it's like. And I had got, you know, it was the first time, something, you know, you smoke weed the first few times, you don't really get high. But then, like, the second, third time, you get really murdered. And I thought, it was, like, the greatest thing I ever found in my life. From that point on, wow. I think I probably had weed in my life for the next almost 15 to 20 years. But uh, I, 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 shortly I went into full-blown, you know, hardcore drinking and especially cocaine and smoking coke and crack, snorting wow. heroin pill. I mean... Oh, my gosh. Wow. Yeah. So how well, long, I, mean, you know, I mean, I don't want to spend too much time, you know, because you have so many things to promote and stuff, but how long was it before you said, okay, enough is enough, and I, I got to stop doing this. This is affecting my life, because you've been sober for a long time. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's in a, close to six years, but... Uh, it was okay. a 20-year run of, of real madness. Wow. And to be, you know, I, I want to re- need to be really honest about this situation. I'll tell you, I did not have just like one great epiphany moment because I had hit rock bottom like a zillion times in my life. And uh, mm-hmm. unfortunately, the disease of addiction, you can hit rock bottom and the whole planet knows what you need to do is stop, but like you don't stop. So I I had gone on and on well into my late 20s, approaching my early 30s, and, I mean, I was hitting rock bottom after rock bottom, and I started to consider my – I wrote myself off as a casualty. I figured I'd never clean up or get sober, and I would die from it, and I actually came to terms with that at one point, and it was horrible. So what what really happened that really turned things around – 
when mm-hmm. I hit 40 was I had a massive congestive uh, heart failure attack from I had come off uh, two um, unbelievable championship binges of my career. I mean, I was I would binge five, six days in a row, and I would lose time, wow. and I'd wake up in places. I, I woke up in another state uh, one time in there oh emergency gosh. room. Yeah, I came to, I actually came to in the intensive care unit of a hospital in Pennsylvania with a priest giving me my last rites. And I, I thought, I didn't know if I was hallucinating or if it was a dream or if I was dying or it was insane. But uh, I had the CHF, the congestive heart failure, and it was really uh, <laughs> like a it's it's much more dire than even a heart attack. It's a brutal thing, and it causes a lot of damage, and it wiped me out completely. And then the next wow. few years that followed, I was a full-time heart patient. So there was no alcohol or drugs. and it, I mean, I was literally in and out of the hospital probably every six weeks for about three years. And, uh, you know, before I really realized what even hit me, I turned around one day and I thought to myself, wow, it's been... It's been three years. I haven't had a drink or an illicit drug. There was a lot of prescription drugs certainly going on, but they were all legal and they were all sanctioned by the doctor and blah, blah, blah. But uh, I thought, you know, it didn't even dawn on me. I know it sounds strange, but I was so ensconced in – I didn't know what was going to happen during those three years. I mean, they were telling me, you know, I had one of the weakest hearts they had ever seen for a man my age, and they were going to put me on the heart transplant list and – you know, I was very oh sick, gosh. too, so the notion of drinking or doing any street drugs, it really was pushed out the window for quite a while. And by the time the smoke cleared, I realized, you know, I'm no longer craving it the way I used to. And it was like a super mm-hmm. amazing gift. And from that point on, I just ran with it. And, you know, like I said, I've been clean and sober uh, a little over five years now. And... uh it's it's been one of the most amazing gifts I've ever been given. It, to me, it's the most important thing, above all other things. So you say you don't want to put too much time into talking about it. That's fine, but you know. Oh no no, I'm, it's uh, up to you. I mean, I just didn't want to. I didn't, you know, sure. you know how comfortable you felt talking about it. But no, that's right. fine. I think I think it's it's very um, relatable. I'm sure to a lot of people who will listen to the show, especially people involved in the entertainment industry that have probably experienced their own issues at one point or another with substance um, abuse. So, no, I think it's very relevant, Scott. I just didn't know how much time and, um, you know, energy you wanted to put into it, but that's totally fine. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I know you respect it very much, and I know you have a sensitivity to all of these things, given your background, especially with what Mm -hmm. you studied in and what you have your master's in. Um, And I think also, too, for me, I I like to share it because I kind of feel like it's – for me, I actually, I mean, I can't say, a lot of people ask me, well, what did you do differently this time, and how did it happen? How did you get sober? Mm-hmm. And I didn't do anything. Something was kind of done to me. Because when I tried to do it any way, my way, it failed miserably. I mean, maybe I'd be sober a couple of weeks, a couple of months. One time in my late 20s, I was cleaned up for about a year, and I always went back to it tenfold worse than I had left it. So, you know, I, what, what did I do? I had congestive heart failure. I, to me, it was divine intervention. Right. It, was a, mm-hmm. it was the type of speed bump you, the type of speed bump in your life you just can't 
ignore and throw, you know, sweep under the rug. I mean, I was wiped out for, you know, 2006, 2007, 2008, 2009. I was just a full-time heart patient. Wow. So you can't, yeah, you can't sweep that under the rug or, or, or ignore it. And uh, well, like no, I, I said, think, the, I think, like you're saying, you really need to make a choice at that point. And your choice was that, you know, you wanted to live and you didn't want to let this take over, um, you know, your life. And unfortunately, I guess the heart stuff was a blessing for you to, you know, turn things around. Well, it was. I mean, I, I joke all the time and say that congestive heart failure was the best thing that ever happened to me, but it is. It really was. Wow. I mean, my life since the congestive heart failure is tenfold better than it had ever been. I mean, I'm genuinely happy most days now without it being on any substance, and uh, mm-hmm. I couldn't say that before that. I mean, when I was trying to sober up, I was usually miserable without the booze and miserable without the drugs, and I hated everybody who can drink successfully, so to speak, that weren't alcoholic. You know, everybody can drink. I can't drink. I felt sorry for myself. It was miserable. Right. I like that were anymore, there, you know. It's, right. Were there, I mean, I'm sure there were people in your life, friends, family, you know, when you were in the throes of, you know, having the major issues with it that were saying, you know, you got to stop, you got to get control of this. How How did you manage around that type of stuff? Well, I didn't manage well at all. In fact, most of the people who really were in my main circle, they had to drop off one by one just for their own health because, you know, when you're a codependent to somebody who's, like, really, really hardcore, it's beyond heartbreaking, you know, because they're they're reading you a a laundry list of how I'm going to change, I'm going to change, and two weeks later they're off on some, you know, mind-blowing drinking drug binge again, and you got to pull yourself out of that. Of course, my mother was the only person who never truly pulled out, but it did take a really bad toll on her, and for that I have, you know, the, most of my major regrets in life, you really shouldn't have too many, but are that my mm-hmm. mother had to see me really, really go through the, like, the total bowels of hell more than one time before I really cleaned up. I just, I thank God that she passed away knowing that I was finally in a good place with that. Oh, okay. Ay, ay, ay. Oh. Yeah. So, so I mean, but she, I mean, are, she was an amazing woman. Is your father still around? Yes, yes. I, I mentioned him a little earlier. We have a good relationship now. We didn't have much right. of a relationship okay. the first handful of years, but um, yeah, he's and he also is a sober, you know, recovering alcoholic for over forty years. He hasn't had a drink, and uh, you know, uh, we have a very nice relationship now. Nice, nice. Well, just to give someone a couple plugs, uh, Scott Meany is in the chat room, and he says, uh, much love to you, Scott. Oh, Scott Meany is <laughs> one half of the creative team that uh, created and produced Constellation Park, a really amazing graphic novel that I got turned on to okay. this past year. And he's also uh, going to be doing the design and the illustrations for my book projects, and he's amazing. In fact, I just saw a uh, a, a spec cover first time tonight for the book and it blew me away just blew me away so i don't know how i'm going to pick any of his different spec covers i I even started toying around with the idea of releasing it in a few different versions because i love all his work wow oh so he's doing the um the graphics for your book that's going to be coming out right right he's doing the design and illustration for uh both books uh yeah 
Very cool. Very cool. I, I definitely have to check out his work. I love anything uh, in the art field. So, And, Scott, if you're doing anything that you want to promote, um, I just befriended you on Facebook, so feel free to contact me and we can bring you on in the future for an interview if you'd like to come on. So, uh, yeah, so we oh, have much love to you. <laughs> that's awesome. That's really awesome. They're, they're wonderful guys. Uh, him and his partner, Chris, are just I mean, cool. you know, They're not just really interesting and creative guys. They're really... I mean, they're good people. They've embraced uh, they've embraced my whole trip, and they've been very supportive. And I and I have as well since I got to know them. It's been pretty cool. Nice, nice. So let's do this, and we can get back to talking more about that. And thank you so much for you know being so so candor and open and and sharing everything that you did. It looks like you've been through a lot, but you've also been able to uh, have the strength to, like you said, get yourself up and running and uh, do all the awesome things that we're going to talk about. So that's yeah, you know, this. quickly just okay. to put a little bow okay. on that whole thing. Let me just put a little, sure. a little closure and a little bow on that whole thing. One of the reasons why I am very candid about what had happened to me was because I hope it's going to give somebody that little spark of belief that miracles do actually happen. I mean, I really needed a miracle. I was not going to stop of my own volition ever. I definitely would have done it to the grave. And wow. I got a miracle that, uh, and again, people say, well, how could you be so thankful for congestive heart failure? It changed everything for the better. So I, I am happy for it, you know. Mm-hmm. But miracles do I happen. Think, they do happen. I, I agree. But I think, Scott, also just in your in your favor and to be positive, I think you also made a choice. And as you know, uh, studying psychology now, I mean, when you look at, you know, humanistic type of existential type of stuff and I'm, I get into that sometimes, especially, you know, as I get older in life and stuff, is that, you know, there's choices that you make, and you have the freedom to choose the decisions and, you know, the roads that you want to take. So even though you did get the congestive heart failure, which was some type of a sign, you made that choice to say, okay, I need to take this seriously now. So in that respect, I I think that's amazing that you were able to, to come around and make that decision. Well, yeah, you are absolutely correct. I just have a hard time taking any credit for getting sober because I know that when initially I could just not have done it for more than a handful of weeks or months at best before this had happened to me. Mm-hmm. But you should so, take yeah, credit because you did. Yeah, you yeah. should take credit because you're a huge proponent of that. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so let's do it. Let's Let's see if this, this caller, sometimes people call in and they just kind of sit there because they just want to listen, but let's bring them up, this person on the air, and if they want to ask a question, great, and if not, we can put them back on hold, all right? Awesome, awesome. Okay. Okay, so uh, 770, you are now on the Carrie Edelman Show with Scott Schiaffo. Is it Schiaffo, Scott, or Schiaffo? It's actually, it's Schiaffo, Schiaffo, uh, you know, it's all good. Um, okay. <laughs> Schiaffo, 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 the, the truest pronunciation okay. is Schiaffo. But, yeah, but. Okay. Okay, okay 770? Hello? 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 Hi, I'm here to talk to Scott Schiaffo. Oh, hey. I uh, I wanted to ask him a trivia question. Does Francis say Rodriguez? Oh, hey, Sarah, how are you? This man is an awesome person, ladies and gentlemen. Very, very wonderful uh, supporter of uh, of a lot of art. Go ahead, Francis. Okay, um, uh, who created the Silver Age Adam? Oh, my gosh. See, I knew, I knew Francis would hit me with a really hardcore 
probably, you know, uh, reference uh, uh, in an area I'm not the sharpest in. I, last time he, he we spoke and he hit me with a question I had backup from a writer-director friend of mine named Michael Rusin, who was actually really good with with illustrations and comics and the history of comics and the history of graphic novels. But I'm going to take a complete belly flop on this. I have no idea. So you're going to have to tell us, Francis, and you get some more goodies. Okay, Gardner Francis Fox and Gilbert Kane. Wow, that is awesome. I mean, I know you know your stuff. Uh, Francis, is a, he's a really wonderful guy. He's been very supportive of all the films, all the music. He's a wonderful Facebook friend. Uh, he's a big supporter of the Kevin Smith world, which obviously I'm a big supporter of. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'll get a hold of you, Francis, and we'll we'll hook you up with some more cool uh, swag, as I like to call it. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay, great. Thank you so much. Any other questions? Um, no, I'm fine. Okay. Thanks so much for calling, and we appreciate it. Okay. Have a good night. Have a good night. Okay. Okay. All right, Scott. So, um, yeah, so let's now get into um, the many roles that you've had as an actor, and uh, let's start out with talking about your uh one of the cult phenomenons that you were in, which is uh, Clerks. And uh, tell us about that, how you got involved in that film with uh, Kevin Smith. Yeah, well, well, we got to rein me in because I could talk about this forever. It's <laughs> one of the most, it's another one of those amazing little uh, miracle things that, uh, you know, you're not promised in this life. I grew up sure. wanting to be involved in you know, a cult film or underground cinema because that's like a big part of what I was into, you know, the whole eraser head thing and, you know, the really the midnight movie thing. And you can't, that's not so, you can't buy that. It either happens or it doesn't. And, you know, I, it, Clerks was actually one of the first films I auditioned for after taking a real hiatus from doing any acting. Okay. And, uh, that, yeah, that same week, I had auditions for an off-Broadway comedy, and when I found out that the guy who I auditioned for for the off-Broadway comedy really wanted me in the cast, but I had found out I had a callback for the film, and I said, listen, this is going to take the lion's share of my time, so I can't, you know, I can't take the part, you know, because I'm not going to have the time between juggling all the other things I do in my life and, you know, this play. And now this film is looking pretty good. So okay. I had auditions like, a, you know, Stranger. A lot of people, I think, over the years had gotten that wrong about Kevin Smith. Like, I think they thought a lot of people in that first movie were just close friends or family. And that wasn't really true. I was a complete stranger to the mix. Uh, okay. I believe Brian, o- Brian O'Halloran, the gentleman who played the lead. Dante, I believe he wasn't really in the mix. Even Marilyn Gigliotti, who, who was the lead. Um <clears throat> So I had saw the uh, audition notice in a, uh, in a in actually in a Jersey new paper uh, classified section. It wasn't in backstage or any of the normal places that you would go looking for acting auditions okay. back at that period of time. You know, we're talking. This is the Stone Age. There's no internet. There's no cell phones. Really, right. <laughs> you know. So I would get all the auditions from backstage, more or less, and uh, or a couple other word of mouth through my freelance agent. But I saw this in the classifieds, and it looked really cool. And I said, hey, it's a Jersey filmmaker making a go at it. Let me go down and audition. And uh-huh. I went. And actually, there's a really bizarre story that goes along with this. I, I'm usually very early. I'm the kind of person who likes to be early for just about anything if I can manage it. 
So, you know, this was like an hour and a half drive one way. So I, I, I made a day of it, and I went down really early. And I found the theater where he was, where Kevin was holding the auditions. And I walked around town. It was a beautiful little, uh, you know, quaint Jersey uh, shore town. And uh, I had wandered. In? I'm sorry? What, what town was it in? Yeah, what town was, was it Highlands, in? The Atlantic Highlands. Um, mm-hmm. it, just really, really, you know, really uh, endearing kind of little place. And I had wandered mm-hmm. off onto the beach and onto, the, onto a jetty. And I was starting to rehearse my monologue, and somebody actually called the police because they, they thought somebody was out on the jetty who was either really inebriated or maybe suicidal because they saw a guy out on the jetty, you know, gesturing wildly to himself. <laughs> they, didn't, they didn't know what to make of it, so they had asked me, you know, what's going on. And, and uh, yeah, it actually was a little tough, too, because I wasn't sure they were buying it initially. I told them, listen, if you're going to arrest me, please do it after the audition. <laughs> so, but they were That's fine funny. with it after a while. You know, they said, just stay off uh, stay off the beaches in the off-season and you'll be fine, you know, type of thing. Right, right. So I went into the audition. I did uh, I did a monologue from Diner, actually. I did a, one of the, uh, a monologue from Daniel Stern's character from the movie Diner, and it's funny with auditions, whenever I thought I didn't do a good job, I would get a call back. And when I thought I really kicked butt, I would never get a call back. Right, so I right. Left, I left thinking it wasn't the strongest audition in the world. But sure enough, a few days later, they called back and said, we want you to read from the actual you know, script. Can you come on down? So right. I was elated, and then it just took off from there. Very cool, very cool. So yeah. talking about, I mean, Kevin Smith movies, as we know, he um, so you have Clerks, and then uh, then did that lead to you getting involved in the other um, cult controversial film for uh, me? Titled for me, yeah, yeah, yeah certainly. Okay. What had happened was um, a few years after, actually, it was quicker than that. Uh, not too long after Clerks had done really well in terms of Sundance and the film festival circuit, and then it was released theatrically by Miramax. Not too long after that period of time, I think Kevin was on to Mall Rats at this point, and I got the script from Brian Johnson, who's from the uh, Kevin Smith camp, and they said, okay. Where, you know, would you be interested in this role, the role of Travis Lee? And before I even read it, I knew I was going to say yes. I'm not going to say no to anybody from Kevin Smith's camp. It's kind of ridiculous. You know, I'm an actor. Right. They're offering me something, and I, you know, tried and true track record, awesome people. I'm going to say yes, probably without reading it. But, um, <clears throat> you know, I read it, and it was pretty insane. You know, there's a, there's a clown rape scene where, you know, about 20 minutes in, during the first reel, <laughs> Our lead character is abused by three insane dudes in a hotel room, and uh, I said, "Oh, this is definitely gonna, <laughs> this is gonna definitely rattle some, uh, shake some right. people up." Yeah. So, but you know, hey, I was, I found, you know, I heard Brian O'Haran was going to be the lead, and I got to have a couple of scenes with him again, which was really cool. So I was totally down, and that's kind of how that happened, more or less. Nice, and we know that. Um you know, you had sent me the the clip, which was great, of Kevin Smith when he called into the Howard Stern show. And I just want to do a plug because we have someone that is a huge fan of Howard Stern, and he blogs about the show all day long, uh, named by the name Mark Spriggan. So I don't know if you've oh, ever cool. heard of MarkSpriggan.com, but he's in the chat room. So 
I always give a plug to Mark Spriggan and anyone out there who is a fan of Howard Stern, you can go to markspriggan.com and get uh, any little detail you might have missed from the show. It's an, it's an awesome site that really captures uh, everything about the Howard Stern show. And I'm sure Mark, being the fan that he is, probably heard Kevin when he called in. How long ago was that? Oh, when, oh uh, gosh, that was, um, I'm going to say, I'm sure this gentleman probably knows for sure if he really follows the, the Stern world, but... Yeah, uh, I'm thinking that was sometime in 2000 or maybe it might oh, have okay. been 99. Might have been 90, I don't know because I think they got the release date on the IMDb for the movie Vulgar wrong, but that's not for me to say because I'm sure that uh, Brian and Kevin and all of the people really involved in the film give the IMDb the the the, the information they want released. But I had thought it was released before 2000, <clears throat> but I think the IMDb okay. says 2002 actually, but. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, Kevin had called in because all week long Howard was kind of losing his mind on the air over this because he got a screener of it. He thought it was the most <laughs> ridiculous, insane, vulgar piece of garbage he had ever seen. He, he wasn't a big fan. It just freaked right. him out. So everybody wanted to see the movie that freaked out Howard Stern, you know. Right. So we exactly. got, like, the best press in, you know, we got the best press in the world because of that, you know. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, he threw, he threw the screener in the garbage and I think Baba Booey pulled it out of the garbage and started showing it to the rest of the staff. Right. <laughs> so anyway, right. Yeah. Here we go. We got the exact date for you. May oh, 31st, 2000. Oh, that's awesome. That's what, that is so that's awesome. what Mark said. <laughs> yeah, that was really a wonderful deal. You know, I, I was almost going to be able to call in and be a quickie little guest on Stern, but that never materialized because he was talking about the film all week long. It was it was really, you know, great. And Brian Johnson, the writer-director, had a spot on that week as well. So, you know, it made, the Angelica was packed that whole weekend where it opened in the city. Nice. And, you know, awesome. mission accomplished. But unfortunately, I mean, that film was not destined to have a real big theatrical life. You know, that's more right, of a DVD right. film. That's a cult thing, really. Sad, right. though. I think, I think it's very, very much underrated, and it was missed by a lot of people because of some of the bad uh, press and reactions. Because that's right. Because a lot of people really thought that it had no artistic merit. It had a brutal rape scene that was unnecessary, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but, um, I, you know, Brian O'Halloran gives an amazing performance, a completely boldless performance. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, overall the film plays really, really sound. You know, it's a really great, you know, off-the-beaten-path film. And I, I, it's unfortunate that not more people have seen it. I mean, the diehards have seen it. Wow. Well, it sounds, like I said to you uh, when we were chatting, you know, through the emails and stuff, it just sounds... Very interesting, and I do like that dark stuff, so I would love to see it at some point. <laughs> um, oh, yeah, no, I'll, you get, wanna... I'll get you some. Go ahead. No, I, I should be able to get you a... I have a promo copy, I believe. That would be awesome. So do you want to give... What is, have, what's Kevin Smith up to now? Are you involved with any other, um, you know, films with him? Is he doing anything else right now? Oh, Kevin's always super busy, absolutely. He's He's on the whole Red State kick now and I tell you I you know of course I'm a fan who's completely uh, partial to Kevin obviously for obvious right. reasons but uh, I think he completely reinvented himself with Red State it's a comp new right. a very new genre to him a whole new feel I think he nailed it 
and I'm not alone right. with that. I mean, Quentin Tarantino says it's one of his favorite films in years, and it's just in your face. It's a cinematic punch in the face. It was awesome, awesome. I mean, I, I caught Very it on cool. the rental weekend, and I, I must have sat through it three times, and it goes right by, too. It's so quick, but it's like you don't even know what hit you. Wow. I'll definitely have to check that out. That sounds really good. Really awesome good. Film. Nice. So why don't you tell us about um, the film festival coming up and uh, the premiere of Don't Shoot that you are in that is getting some awards. And, yeah, fill everyone in on that. And tell us what All right, about. awesome. Um, actually, it's it's not it, – the film made its festival debut this past summer at the Jersey Film Shore Festival, and it won Best, in, best Low Budget Short, which blew me away because there was an amazing amount of really great – films chose uh, that were picked for that festival and that wow. were screened that week and I was just thinking we were fortunate just to be screened and invited to this festival I never dreamed we'd win, win any of the awards so we got uh, best low budget uh, short for that at the Jersey Shore Film Festival and now the Big Apple Film Festival which happens the first week in November they're screening it on a Wednesday night I believe it's Wednesday the 2nd and uh, that's, a, I mean, I was part of that film festival a number of years ago with Linger, actually. And that festival okay. has really run well. It's super high-end, tons of great people networking. And it's been years since I was in the festival, so I'm sure the festival's like, really, you know, matured since. And I'm just really happy to be a part of it. Wow, that sounds great. That sounds really good. So in this in this festival that you're going to be featuring it in November, is this for another award that you can win for it? in addition to the stuff that you got in the summer? Well, I believe that um, pretty much everything that's screened at uh, most festivals, or certainly the Big Apple Festival, it is a contender for an award. It's really a matter right. of the, the jury voting, and there's people's choice uh, voting. Uh, so, I mean, you know, again, though, it was never – I mean, awards are awesome and they're wonderful, but – just being in some of these festivals was the award alone, you know, just getting exactly. it seen by, yep. a, by a ton of really great uh, industry people that week and uh, networking and rubbing elbows with them. And so who knows if it'll win anything there. But, uh, you know, I'm just, again, Michael Rooster and I are just really happy to be part of it. He was the writer, director of uh, Don't Shoot and producer, actually. Cool. cool. And tell us about the concept of Don't Shoot. Tell us about the uh, scenario. What's it about? Well, Don't Shoot is, uh, when it was originally written, it was, uh, it was a short, almost romantic comedy buddy movie. Uh, it's a story of, a, of a, a made man, but he's not really made. He's actually the mob's little flunky. He's the butt of all their jokes. And he gets an opportunity to really make good with the family once and for all and be taken seriously. But... Uh, what's really happening is they're setting him up for even a bigger fall. But he thinks he's okay. you know, he's being he's being primed to to take out the district attorney's wife, which at the time it was the district attorney's daughter. But since the script lingered around for so long, everybody got a lot older. So <laughs> okay. it, it wasn't pe it wasn't people in their early twenties anymore. It was now people well into adulthood. But um, he's he's. Uh, He's the man to take care of the district attorney's daughter, and sure enough, he can't do it. And he ends up falling for her, and 
they kind of take off and run away, and now they got the mob chasing them, and they got the police chasing them, and it's a, it's a bit, it's, maybe it's like a road movie, a comedy road movie, really, with a little okay. romance in there. Cool. But um, yeah, so the short actually is, was originally intended to be a teaser, so that we would generate interest in the feature. But Michael mm-hmm. Rusin had um, had groomed the piece to where it was also a television pilot as well as a teaser for a feature. So it's kind of like a multi-purpose little calling oh, card cool. now. Plus, it's out on nice. the, uh, you know it's out on IMDb and Amazon as its own standalone piece. It's been released this past spring. You could buy it. Blah blah blah. There's tons of extra features on it. So uh, that was a really wonderful experience after waiting almost close to 20 years to actually produce that script. Wow. Wow. Well, congratulations. It sounds like it's going to be a, a great film. It already is. And, uh, yeah, best of luck with everything to come with that. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, I'm very fortunate. Very I, I feel like I'm, really, I'm a very fortunate man. I really am. I'm a very lucky man. I, I don't say that joshingly. I've had a lot of wonderful uh, things, strokes of luck in my life, from my life being saved to getting cast in one of the biggest cult films of the 90s to blah, blah, blah. And, you know, again, it's like it just shows pretty amazing things happen sometimes if you just show up because mm-hmm. I barely showed up for a lot of those years. I was so <laughs> deep in my drinking and drug use. You know, uh, in fact, I had blown the opportunity to go to the premiere screening of Clerks because that was the incident where I woke up in Pennsylvania in the intensive care ward. Oh, and, gosh. Yeah, and that week was the premiere of Clerks. And there was no way I was going to miss it. So I was, you know, out in front of the hospital trying to thumb a ride back to Jersey in New York so I could be part of the screening. And nobody was picking me up. And anybody, people from the hospital said, listen, you need a couple of weeks in rehab, rehab pal. You know, you, you should not be going home. So wow. I ended up staying in a, I stayed in a uh, 28-day place in Pennsylvania. And I spoke mm-hmm. to Kevin and Scott Mosier. Uh, Kevin and Scott Mosier on the phone. Uh, I was really upset I'm going to miss the premiere. And, you know, Kevin's a super supportive guy. He's like, listen, don't worry about it. Do what you got to do. Get yourself well. You know, the movie's here for you. You know, it's not going anywhere. Yeah, you're going to miss the premiere. But, you know, there's other things that are more important, like your life. (laughs) So uh, he was very supportive, always has been. That's awesome. That's awesome that he was that supportive for you and all that stuff was going on at the time for you. But as you said, you've worked very hard, Scott. And I don't. I know you say that there's a lot of miracles and you know things happen from maybe being in the right place at the right time. But you also need to take credit for all the hard work and the talent that you exude because that's why a lot of the things have happened to you too. Well, you know, I appreciate that. <laughs> and I know. I know that's true because. You have to put the time in and the work if you're going to expect anything. So, you Absolutely. know, miracles does not mean don't put any work in. <laughs> you know, you got to put, you know, you got to put a million hours of blood, sweat, and tears into your career, no matter what you choose in this life. I believe not just an acting career, but any career. And uh, you know, things are going to me- if things are meant to happen, they're going to happen. Absolutely. Well, real quick, someone in the chat room just joined us by the name of Cloud Nation Radio. And their question to you is, any advice for short story authors trying to transition into film? What would your advice be? Hmm. Well, I, I would say probably first and foremost, uh, you got to get you got to get the script 
you got to have a screenplay treatment of your short story done. Whether I don't know if it's just a short story, it's not an actual screenplay, but you got to have a screenplay written and ready mm-hmm. to go, uh, preferably under 30 pages, which would transpire into under 30 minutes. <clears throat> and then I would get that script registered with the, uh, you know, the WGA, the Writers Guild of America, stamp that okay. on the front cover of the of the script to let people know you're serious and you've got your script registered with the Writers Guild. And depending on where you live, uh, if you're anywhere near a big city, I'm, you know, I'd bet dollars to donuts. There's a lot of independent young filmmakers out there hungry to shoot something interesting. You know, get get the word out. Well, even if it's through a classified ad, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, see who might be interested in producing it. And then ultimately, what everybody's been doing these last ten years is taking their own bread and producing the piece on their own. Because now with technology, it's so cost effective to do just that. Right. Right. Oh, I think with a lot of things, you know, people with music, like you're saying, films. I mean, the industry has just changed so much over the years. Um, Oh yeah, so, no, absolutely. I mean, they got YouTube. You know, you could you could float a trailer on YouTube and be a a YouTube sensation in two weeks. You could have half a million hits. You know, it's it's pretty wild out there. It is, yeah. And while we're talking about that, I hope that um helps you out, Crowd Nation Radio. Okay, I hope that answered your question. Um, yeah, what is your perception, Scott, on the industry and how things have changed so much? you know, over the past several years with the use of social media sites and the Internet. And what are your feelings about that? Do you like the direction it's going in? Um, what are some things that you think are maybe not beneficial? Uh, well, that's actually that's a pretty awesome question because I am a, I'm a computer geek. I love technology. Mm-hmm. I can say that at the jump. In fact, I've actually done some hands-on editing of some films I worked on as well as the score work on some of the films I worked on, which was a wonderful opportunity. But I think now, I mean, there's a lot of mixed opinion about this out there because now, you know, people are saying anybody with a, with an iPhone can make a movie and submit it to YouTube, which is true. But uh, what happens is yeah, there's a tremendous amount of mediocrity out there, but still the bottom line is the cream is going to rise to the top. And if you have something Mm -hmm. special to say or a unique way to say it or an interesting way to shoot it, you'll get noticed eventually if you believe in it and you push it. So compared to what it was like in prior, say, 90, prior to Clerks, I think Clerks being released, that time frame, the early 90s, was when the independent Mm -hmm. scene really exploded and then technology exploded shortly after, you know, at Windows 98 and whatever from there on, uh, personal computers were a reality. Every household has three now or whatever. So, um, you know, uh, prior to that, you really had to scrape around for money to shoot something because the cost of film as opposed to the cost of digital media is outrageous. You know, you you can't shoot... With digital, you could shoot as many takes as you want as a scene because you're not really burning through very expensive film stock. But when you're shooting film, I mean, film is very expensive just in and of itself, the medium, the stock, you know, to buy film and to have film processed. Whereas with digital, you know, you're processing it right there on the set at the time. You know, you're seeing it. I've even been on projects where they were not only shooting the piece at the time, they they were editing it in real time right there, you know. So, I mean, wow. technology is amazing if you can harness it for yourself. But like I said, too, I have one of the downs 
is there is a tremendous amount of and I'm I'm not one to even call anybody mediocre. That's not my trip. I mean, if I'm not supportive, I would probably just if I can't say something nice, not say something at all. But the bottom line right. is there's a gazillion more quote unquote filmmakers and well, rock bands and you know. Right, and that's what I was going to say to you. So on the on the one side is the good thing is you know you can manage a lot of stuff on your own now, which you know which you can do to a certain extent because even me with the music. There's only so much you can do without having some type of a reputable manager or someone who has those right connections to start getting you to that next level. So there sure. is a lot you can do on your own. But when the competition is so, you know, I don't even know how to say it, there's just so much competition, how would well, yeah, you recommend that people, they... can you make a career out of this? How do you just, you know, I have my you know, my doctorate in psychology, I have my full-time job, which you know, I'm very conservative with that type of stuff. I'm not going to just leave it and say, okay, I'm going to, I want to write for a sitcom right now or I want to go out on the road and become a, a rock star. You know what I mean? So right, right. What is your advice, you. what's your advice to people, you know, who are so passionate about their art, um, you know, whether it's being an actor, filmmaker, or musician, in terms of trying to make a living today doing this with the way things have changed? Well, I think you hit the nail on the head in the sense of that there's, Again, there's a million, there's a million more things for these cats to weed through. These A and R cats and these film guys or gals. I don't want to just make it about guys, but people who are you know looking for new talent from the major studios or from the major record labels, they've now got a gazillion more things to weed through before they find that little nugget. But mm-hmm. uh, again, I think you got to really believe in your little nugget so much that you will push it to the ends of the earth and. You know, in your own mind, you're already accepted in the mainstream, and, you know, it's a matter of the audience just finding you. Um, You know, I I always believe, and I say this to a lot of people I'm close to who are in the business, is, you know, we're, we're in this whether we choose it or not, because it's such a strong drive within most of us to, whether it's music or acting or writing or whatever it may be, that's in there, and whether you're doing it for a living or not, it doesn't change it. So you know you might as well go with it and just do your best to give it hell. And yeah, you got to keep the bills paid. I know I've juggled a lot of things, studio work over the years, and even now I juggle a bunch of stuff to make sure everything is nicely taken care of. But right, you know it's worth it. It really is worth it. No, okay, that's that's yeah, definitely well put. And and interestingly, I mean, you are going back, uh, continuing your education, and we might as well tie that in. I'm interested in knowing, so what made you, you know, decide to go on to get uh, an advanced degree in no less counseling psychology? Um, <laughs> tell us about that. Yeah, okay. Well, that's, um, I'll give the college a quick plug. That's at uh, William Patterson University. They're they're continuing, mm-hmm. uh, well, not continuing, it's their education master's and counseling program. Uh, well, when I had the CHF, when I had the congestive heart failure, and I was super down for the count for those few years, I realized that if I was going to end up being on either permanent disability or disability on some level, I needed to do something that could help with income that was not at all physically taxing, that was completely cerebral. Right. So I have always been uh, fascinated by the fields of psychology and and uh, 
things of that nature. And I've been in and out of therapy my entire adult life, and I, I believe in the process, and I believe in, you know, the people who go in to uh, do this work. Mm-hmm. Um so I, and I, I knew that it would not be physically taxing, really, on any level other than getting yourself from either the agency or whatever it may be. You know, some people even have fortunate to have, a, you know, a, a private practice in their own homes and they have an office or whatnot. But it wasn't going to be a physically demanding career, and it's a career I really had passionate for, passion nice. for, I should say. And, um, you know, I, I just... Uh, I said, I'm going to go and I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. So I took the mats. I haven't been in school in over 20 years. And my my GPA from when I was an undergrad was sad, man. I mean, I I was like a steady C student. You know, I mean, I, I was... First time I went through college, I was like sleepwalking through. All I was doing was playing in bands and partying my head off. Right, um, right. They were able to forego the less than stunning GPA because my mat scores were somehow really high, which was wonderful to hear, and uh, nice. all the other things like the writing sample and uh, I guess the references played in and the in-person mm-hmm. interviews played in. And plus two, quickly, it, it's a it's a career where it's one of the few careers where as you age, you don't become. You're, 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 I don't want to say you're, you're, you're more coveted. That's ridiculous. But as you age, right. yeah, you, you know what I'm trying to say. Help me out here. I know. Yeah, you're trying to say like, not, it's not like a computer tech person where, you know, as you age, sometimes I don't want to say you're not as marketable because when you have these younger people up and coming in the field, you know, that might have this new pizzazz about them. Yeah, and you're right. In the counseling field, psychology field. You keep educating yourself. You stay up to date with the new trends that are happening, you know, in the fields. And I agree with you. I don't know how to put it, but I know what you're trying to say. Right, exactly. You you, you don't really lose you don't, your you don't marketability. Have a, you, don't, you, you don't have a shelf life. You know, it's one of, the, one of the careers where years in the game, whether it's in uh, therapy or not, years in the game of life become a mm-hmm. big asset. So. Right. Another reason and the other nice thing, like you're saying, you can do about it is, and this is something I'm just learning, Scott, and that's why, you know, at some point you and I are going to meet up and, and talk off the air, but there's just so many other creative ways you can start using this that you never even thought of. You don't just have to be that's sitting right. in an office doing therapy with someone. I mean, maybe you can be an educator. You know, you could be a professor, or maybe you could be someone who is a consultant for a TV show. You know, there's so many things that I don't think people – um, are open-minded to and, and see the um, versatility of the of the degree in the career. Oh, you're absolutely right. In fact, that when I started, I had no thoughts about teaching, but now I very mm-hmm. much would like to teach. I would like to teach in my program, and I would like to teach the substance abuse class because I think up-and-coming students of of counseling therapy should hear that kind of stuff from somebody who was really hardcore for 20 years. Right. Right. You know, they're going to hear it straight from somebody. Yeah, I mean, all the rehabs and things that we were studying in that class, I had been a patient in at one point. Wow. Right. And that's right. Oh, you know. Right. It would be more relatable, too, when you can actually, because you're, like, kind of in the moment being able to remember what it was like and and deliver that to the, uh, you know, to the guests. Um, 
sorry, not to the guests. I'm looking at my chat room. Excuse <laughs> me, that was a Freudian slip. Uh, to your to your uh, students, to your students, and and real oh, quick again because people keep popping in and out. Um, if you're tuning in right now again, you are listening to Scott uh, Schaffo on the Kerry Edelman Show, and the show will be available as a podcast. So if you tuned in a little late and you want to catch it from the start, um, once the interview is over, give it five or ten minutes, and it will be up and running for anyone to listen to at their convenience. Awesome. So, okay, so back. Back to you. <laughs> so what okay. else do you want to, um, yeah, just be, we'll start tying things up. What else do you want to share with people about uh, any other upcoming films that you're involved in? You could talk a little bit about your poetry book um, and tell people what that's about. Well, um, yeah, that's that's probably going to happen sometime before the holidays or maybe just after the new year. And back during, like, my darkest days in my mid 20s to my late 20s and early 30s when my alcoholism and drug addiction was really hardcore and severe, I -hmm. had been writing poetry and short stories kind of in, you know, seeing through the guise of that lifestyle. It was almost kind of like a East Coast funky version of Charles Bukowski, but with drugs, not just booze. Okay. So, I mean, I had a, a stack of stuff written during that time period and I shelved it away and I figured there'd be no reason to unearth it because of it's fairly dark stuff and you know uh, I'm, I'm much older now and thankfully I've made it through a lot of that darkness but again mm-hmm. my editor Marianne Cristiano had said uh, you know if it touches anybody in a way where they can see your journey then you know who's to say what's what's truly legit and not legit because the the work itself, according to the publisher and a few other people who read it, they felt it had merit to put it out there. So that's how it's going. It's going to go out. And uh, luckily uh, I have some really amazing people working on the the project. That's Scott Meany, Christopher Landando from Constellation Park. They're, they're helping mm-hmm. me out as consultants as well as doing the design work for the, for the entire book's uh, look and layout. So nice. that's, I'm really excited about that. But that's pretty, you know, it's not going to be out for at least another month or two, just probably. I mean, the latest will probably be early 2012. Cool. Well, that sounds great, though. So we'll definitely bring you on to promote that. Um, and with this book that you're doing, the poetry, did you say it's also short stories, Scott, or is this just poetry? Yeah, there's um, there's actually only a few short stories. It's okay. mostly poetry, but... Um, I call it. I mean, the the subtitle of the of the book is um, a collection of poems, short stories, and streams of semi consciousness. Okay, interesting. <laughs> okay, right. And what oh, was the title of it? Which was interesting. Yeah, the title was pulled from one of the lines in the one of the pieces, as well as a condition I had endured throughout this whole time i had been having what you know you recall them repetitive nightmares having the same type of nightmare over and over again and i would have these nightmares of these vicious dogs attacking me and i would have to literally pry their their fangs off my body to get away from them almost like bear traps and it was horrific because not only was it frightening but i love animals so here i am Tearing away at an animal's jaws to, you know, it was crazy. So uh, the line from the poem was, uh, 
Vicious Dogs Attack Me in Sleepless Nights of Summer. And that's the name of the book. I love book. it. <laughs> I yeah, love it's pretty it. I out think it's there. so catchy. It's out there. Now, we can, we, we'll talk about analyzing your dream another time. <laughs> okay, yeah. Um, so, well, yeah, so, I mean, thank you so much for, you know, for coming on tonight and stuff. And definitely, you know, plug where people can uh, check out your website, plug the upcoming uh, film screening again that you're going to be doing next week, the festival. And uh, we will definitely have you back on in the near future. Okay, no, that's really awesome. Thank you for having me on. It's really wonderful when a kindred spirit, like-minded individual can see what you're doing and embrace it and help you along the path. I'm very happy to have had the time to speak with you tonight. Um, Big Apple Film Festival, first week in November, Wednesday the 2nd. Don't Shoot will be screening that evening. Uh, Don't Shoot's also available on Amazon as a DVD. And the DVD comes with tons of extras, thanks to Michael P. Rosen. Um, I did a piece called Echoes and Voices by Tom Zanka. Uh, That was a pilot for a television drama. And that's available on Amazon uh, DVD. And, again, it's a very nice package of DVD. It's, uh, it's It's under an hour, but it's a powerful little vignette. And, you know, it's getting interest. Mm-hmm. Which is what a lot of these things are meant to generate interest in further projects, but it's a very nice package. Echoes and voices. Uh, gosh, and then you know, I scottschiaffo dot com. I'm usually updating that whenever something new is going on. But uh, the I think between grad school, I got one or two film projects coming up, and the books. I think I'm already overextended. <laughs> <laughs> I think you are too, and I want to yeah. pick your brain at some point too. So I'm going to even overextend you more. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So, well, thank you so much, Scott, for coming on. You're you're an amazing talent. Um, it was a pleasure having you on the show, and uh, I wish you the best of luck with all your future endeavors. And I'm hoping to at some point uh, write with you or do something and be a part of uh, these amazing things that you've done. Awesome. Thank you, Carrie. Really. All right. So, yeah, so best of luck next week, and uh, you and I will definitely be in touch. Awesome. Okay? So thanks so much, Scott. All right. Thank you. Have a great night. Okay. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. All right, everyone, again, you just heard from Scott Schiaffo. Uh, You can check him out at scottschiaffo.com, and that is S-C-H-I-A-F-F-O. And uh, amazing talent. Check out all of his work he's done. He's been in Clerks. He's been in the movie Vulgar, uh, The Broccoli Theory, Linger, and uh, a new film coming out, short film called Don't Shoot, which is going to be filming next week at the uh, Apple Film Festival in New York. So check out his stuff, and we will probably have him on some point in the near future to talk about his new uh, poetry book. And I do have another interview tomorrow night. I'm doing two this week. We have the pop rock band based out of northern New Jersey called Nove, and uh, you can check them out at com, and that is spelled N-O-V-A-E, and uh, they have some amazing music. So tomorrow night again, uh, that's Wednesday, October 26th, and that will be at 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, please become a fan of the Carrie Edelman Show. I have a bunch of information on the page. It's on Facebook about how you can become a guest on the show and contact me. We have uh, tons of interviews coming up in November already. I'm almost booked up for the month, and I'm going to start booking for December, and then I can't believe I'm saying this, the new year. 
So, uh, yeah, so thank you again, everyone, for your support. Uh, you've been amazing, and uh, I really appreciate it. And we're going to lead off with my song, Leave It All Behind Tonight, which is the title track off of my album that you can find on iTunes by searching Carrie Edelman, as well as Amazon Music and all other major digital sites. Uh, and if you want a hard copy, you can also go to CarrieEdelman.com. Thank you so much, everyone. Have a great night. And again, we will be back tomorrow night with the pop rock band Nove, which is out of uh, northern New Jersey. Have a great night.